Hey guys, before we get started tonight, just wanted to point out we have a new Facebook group going. It's called the Remedial Film Class Podcast Extra Credit Discussion Group on Facebook. Get on there, interact with Travis and I. Heck, George even gets on there sometimes. Just try not to spoil anything for him because he ain't seen shit. <laughs> we ain't seen shit. But we've seen some shit and we'd like to talk yes. about it. Plus, you can make fun of me when I forget stuff or you can suggest new impressions for Travis and... <laughs> Heck, you could even tell us what movies to show George. Just, you know, we'll get to them. It'll be fun. I guess the guys don't want to add anything to that discussion. Oh, you were doing so well. I mean, I'm pretty good. <laughs> You're fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, break four, our stones on there. Definitely size break 14 our stones. Dick. <laughs> I have about a size 14. It's as big as the knife I carried around on Halloween. I think we're up to like 22 <laughs> inches at that point. <laughs> Like John Holmes. <laughs> I, I couldn't even tuck it. <laughs> yeah, you, you could tuck it, but then you could lean back like yeah, way right. far. And sit. <laughs> <laughs> it's my tripod. So anyway, check out the group. It'll be fun. See you guys there. <laughs> So welcome to this episode of Remedial Film Class Podcast. I'm your host, James Gum. This week we are going to be watching a movie that is near and dear to my heart, would be Silence of the Lambs. And it's not The Silence of the Lambs, it's Silence of the Lambs. So uh, George, what do you know about Silence of the Lambs? So George, (laughs) Dan here. (laughs) I'm glad Bill's gone. He's scary. Yeah. I'm always afraid he's going to skin me and hump me, and maybe not in that order. <laughs> uh, that's funny. So, George, you've probably heard of Silence of the Lambs. You've been putting up with the Buffalo Bill impression for going on six months now. Uh, yeah. What else, besides, what else do you know about Silence of the Lambs? I know a few things. Mostly... From memes, right? Yeah, yeah, mostly from memes. Uh, I know that the, the kind of like the killer, I guess. He's, I know that he's odd, and I know that he's killing women for their skin. I know that, and he's trying to make a costume, or something, or suit. I don't know. I know that Hannibal Lecter is in this movie. <laughs> but I don't know what role he plays in it. So really, it sounds like you probably learned more about this movie from Travis and I referencing it in the Psycho episode, the Chainsaw episode, the Halloween episode, <laughs> the Friday the 13th <laughs> episodes at least twice, and the countless Buffalo Bill impressions, more mm. so than even the memes. Yeah, I think, in fact, I th- I'm pretty sure Travis thought I had already seen it. and so Yeah, I probably would have kept that in the closet yeah I didn't know but but i you know i've seen it a, a, you know like a little bit here and there like scenes here and there like you know like the tuck scene i've seen 
or maybe I've just seen a picture of it. I, I don't know, but yeah, I have like a I have like a vague understanding of what's going on. I've never seen it. I've never watched it. I the only thing I would think that you had reference to was probably some of the Halloween decorations we had done in the past. For the party? Uh, for the party that... Oh, jeez. It's just Travis yeah. tucked for all the guests? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, there's no Buffalo Bill in it. It's just... Uh, uh, we did a Hannibal Lecter scene. The the cell cell scene. Yeah, they turned like a, a corner of... Or kind of like a laundry room, like an off the, off the side of the basement kind of room into the cell. Right. And then we had a sound chip motion sensor. So when you got close to the glass, he would say, Closer, please. Closer. I mean, that's pretty that was cool. About it. That's really yeah, it was it. And it was plexiglass. It was we we were into detail when we did that. It wasn't hokey. Was that before you had kids? Yes. That sounds like a <laughs> before you had kids kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, we used to do like fourteen or fifteen scenes. Fourteen or fifteen <laughs> scenes, <laughs> and, and people would come to the party and they would spend the night like posing in the picture, posing in the scenes and taking pictures and doing whatever. So we enjoyed it. So I think that's one of the references he might have of Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, definitely. The mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus, it's so iconic. See, he, he, it's it's one of those things you can't really run from. That's why I was shocked when he said he didn't have any idea about Psycho. I was like, wait, what? So to have reference here, it's understandable. I have a little bit. Yeah. Well, I am excited to hear what you have to say, but I think before we talk anymore, we probably ought to make you watch the damn thing. So... Let's get to work. So, George, we did it. Uh, I mean, you did it. I had already done it. Travis has done it a couple of times. He even faked it in his basement once. So, <laughs> what are your initial impressions of the uh, the movie, which is not the Silence of the Lambs, allegedly. It's just Silence of the I think Lambs. It is, I think it is the Silence It of has to be, right? Yeah. I mean, for the dialogue I... to work out. I think on the DVD, I definitely saw a V okay. on it, but it's neither here nor there. Some articulate um, material on the front, is that what we're saying? Yes, because uh, the is an article, is that why you said that? Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. It didn't go over, didn't go over my head I don't completely. know that articulate I had to verify, can be used in that way, but I'm going for it, and I think it's I'll allow ar- it, so. All right, so great. There. So what did I think of the movie? Yeah, man. Masterpiece. Boom. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> um, I actually watched it with him, so I, I, because uh, I, I wanted to. It's funny because I, I know he wants to react and he wants to say things, but I don't want him to. But I know he's enjoying it, just because. How could you not? Yeah, I almost, I almost <laughs> don't like watching movies with Travis. You know, right before we did the podcast, because while I'm watching it, I'm thinking, I want to comment on it, but I just need to save it. Yeah. But your quote has become my quote, Dan. Save it for the pod. Save it for yeah. the pod. Hashtag. Save it for the pod. Anthony Hopkins performance. I don't know if I can see him as anything other than Hannibal Lecter for the rest of my life. Mm. Oh, we have such sights to show you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of really good camera work. I'll give you for instance a, a couple of the shots that I noticed that I really liked. The camera's on Clarice but Lecter is talking. You see his reflection mm-hmm. in the plexiglass. Because for some of those conversations, you totally lose the plexiglass. Like, it's not yep. there. 
But in that scene, it was definitely, you know, obviously yeah. it's definitely there. Um, when she, when Clarice was in, was in Buffalo Bill's house, and the camera kind of goes over to the right just a tad and comes back, mm-hmm. just so that you can see the picture of the butterfly, butterfly on the wall. Yeah. Yep. And before you actually see the moth, or before she sees the moth and makes the connection. But you're like, just look to your left, look to your left, and you'll get it. <laughs> yeah. So there was, it was beautifully shot and beautifully acted, and uh, I, I, I don't know, I perfect love, movie. I, I know I we'll probably talk about it later, but that because you brought that scene up, when he finds his card, and says, "Here's the number," and she's like, "Can I use your phone?" and his laugh, yeah, is like that's gonna ring the phone in my kitchen, <laughs> like, just <laughs> just that laugh, like yeah, you can use my phone, and it's like he's laughing because he's, like, he's I'm, I'm giving you my number, and that's the phone you're gonna be using, right? Ah, so so good. Or it's just going to be busy. That's what, what or, happened back Yeah, then. it would be busy. Well, I think he's given somebody else's number, guys. He's not given his own. I, he, he's see, I wanted Remember, to discuss this. he's deferring this. to the guy who's like, oh, that guy doesn't live here anymore. Because she's not looking for James Gum at that point. She thinks James Gum is under arrest from the, the HRTs going after him. Right. So she's under the impression that she's just helping out, finding other people that might be related. So when he says, oh, the people that used to live here don't anymore, but I have their number... She's legit thinking, okay, uh, I'm going to get somebody else. She is. Now, okay, this would be a great conversation because I've always thought, since I've seen this movie, I've always thought that he is Jack Gordon, James Gum. Or no, the the man, he assumed his, uh, not his identity, but he's Mrs. Lippman's son. So that's his house. That's his mom's house. That precious is his mom's dog. His mom is his influence, Mrs. Lippman, who they, who uh, Frederick worked for. So I think that Jack Gordon, um, I don't know what his first name would be, but Lippman, that's his mother. So when he says uh, she doesn't live here anymore, he knows she's dead, and he says Mrs. Lippman had a son. He's talking about himself. That's what I always thought. And when he went to get that phone number, that was the house line. That's what I thought the laugh was. I also think that Clarice definitely knew that Dr. Lecter did not give the a real, real name right. or a correct name or you know, cuz he had done that he had done that before and it was just you know, a a clue mm-hmm. for you to dig in deeper to find what is what he's actually talking about? Right. So I don't think that she thought for a second that he'd be sending the FBI but to the exactly Jamie, where they needed Jamie, to go. Jamie Gum is a real name because that was somebody who had registered. Maybe that was an alias he was using. Hey guys, Dan and Post. It's been a while since we've done one of these, but just to point out that James Gum has a medical record and he uses the aliases of John Grant and Jack Gordon earlier in the film. So JG is like his alias move. Anyway, James Gum, real name. Mm-hmm. But they do establish that the house they went to in Chicago was not the same person. It was a picture; even the picture was wrong. Hey, Dan and Post again. That is absolutely a picture of Ted Levine that Crawford is carrying on that C-130 when they're flying to get him. So, anyway, back to the show. But when they establish the whole, he covets what he sees every day. You have to assume that Jack Gordon, 
grew up or at least lived there and knew Frederic. Yes. And when the woman in the diner says that Frederic used to do work for Mrs. Lippman, and then mm-hmm. she goes to Lippman's house, and he says Mrs. Lippman had a son. Mm-hmm. And to me, I think he is Mrs. Lippman's son. What do you think of that? What do you think about that, Dan? So Dan there. the thing <laughs> is, I'm going to have to cut a lot, because there's so much speculation. We haven't even gotten to the episode yet, so I have a feeling I'm going to cut a lot of this. But just for our sake of discussion... Hey, it's Dan in post. Uh, I didn't cut anything out. I just left most of it in. So uh, enjoy our speculation. Crawford is the one that finds the name James Gum. Lecter mm-hmm. doesn't give it to him. And he finds it because of cross-referencing Hopkins and the other hospitals for rejected sex change operations. Right. And the address they have is... Is it in Chicago? It's on the outskirts of Chicago? So yes. the the HRT is deploying to Chicago to where James Gum is registered, but that guy James Gum, the killer guy, is operating is out of Bellevue. that house. But that's not a house that he owns. See, I don't know that it's ever properly established his relationship with the lady that used to own that house, except that you assume I think from the pictures found in the girl's bedroom that it's probably him that was taking the pictures. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. They obviously have a relationship, and it may be somewhat related to his interaction with Mrs. Lippman, but I don't think you have enough there to say that he's any more related to Mrs. Lippman, because he also, at some point, has to be mobile enough to attract Dr. Lecter's attention, and he's working on the East Coast, isn't he? Uh, Lecter was Where in does, Baltimore, yeah. So he's, uh, he's in Baltimore. He's hooking up with the dude that he kills. But isn't... isn't uh... Gordon Gum, whatever I don't even know what name he actually is. Uh, don't they establish that he was in Baltimore for, I guess, to seek getting a reassignment uh, surgery, and that was one of the places where he went. Well, I guess and you do have some overlap there because Hopkins, Johns Hopkins, is is it in Baltimore? Same. But area. he also Same had a relationship region. with the the head that they found in the jar. They were lovers, apparently. So I, mean, I, I just think there's a lot of meat here. Maybe it's in the book. I'll have to I, I kind of wonder if it's just left open so that you have enough to assume it's good, but not, mm. it's not so well-defined that you can like draw a line from one to the other. You can't complete the timeline, maybe, but it's not. nothing conflicts, you know? So it's not a bad well, timeline, it, it's just incomplete. It's just so well-written, and I know the writer is a playwright, Hey, it's Dan and Post again. Uh, he was a journalist, but I mean, words matter, I guess. So almost every line means something. Uh, and a lot of that would be throwaway if he wasn't Mrs. Lippman's son. I just, it didn't seem like cover up because he didn't really know she was on to him, per se. So he, why would he even lie? He just said, well, no, he did lie. He said, Mrs. Lippman doesn't live here anymore. I bought the house two years ago. Clearly, that was a lie because you would have to hold up in that house for a long time to have that kind of dungeon situation. That house looked lived in for a long time. So, I don't know. That, I'm, I'm going to stick to my guns. I'm gonna say I think we're going to have to call Thomas Harris and be like, hey, <laughs> Tommy H., I got questions. Because it also has a connection to Norman Bates and Norman Bates' relationship with his mother. And then I heard, uh, I heard an interview by... Ted Levine a long time ago, probably about 10 years ago, 
and he talks about how his character, his behavior is almost, it's effeminate because he's kind of channeling how he thinks his mother would be doing. Like that dog is his mother's dog, the way he talks to the dog precious. Like he just kind of talks to the dog in the way a woman would. He's not, he, he established very early that, uh, that was his take on the character that he was almost channeling his mother, just like Norman Bates does. Hmm. So I, again, I've always made that kind con- that connection. I could be completely wrong, but I'm going to go. To my I don't think that that's a, an unfair assumption. I think that you do have to take some assumptions to get there, but I don't, I don't think it's unlikely. It's, it might be there in the words. I don't know that it violates yeah. any, I don't think anything stated is violated by you assuming that. Right. But I right. think you are still having to assume. So I don't know if I'm comfortable like jumping on board, but I'm happy you're there and it looks like you're having fun over there in assumes. <laughs> <little. laughs> hey, I this is an opinion show, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, then I guess we can just jump right in based on that conversation. Uh obviously there's serial killer References like the uh, real life serial killers. What are you talking? No. Yes. This can't real be life. based on real life. <laughs> well, that's what that's what they were saying. The FBI uh, people that were involved in the the making of this movie, they said that people will watch this movie and think that this guy is so. There's no way that someone like him existed or exists. I feel like we mm. need like a you know the soundboard feature. I need a button that just says Ed Guy and boom. Yeah. And then yeah. we just have a spiel. Well, Ted. Ted Bundy was more. I mean, the Ed the Ed Gein Gein. It's uh, it should be Gein, but everybody says Gein. Well, but that's the thing. He might have said Gein. I never met the guy. <laughs> thank goodness. Yeah, I but it's it, it's spelled like Gein. It's, right. Yeah. I'm gonna have to Google who he is. But Ooh, you've already met him. Uh, you've met him uh, a couple of times. Norman Bates. Oh, we've talked about him. Okay. Um, but the Ted Bundy aspect i think you know with the whole wearing the cast and acting like uh you know almost like a, a victim or or somebody who's submissive to get the 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 unsuspecting woman close enough mm-hmm. and he would use the cast to club them over the head and he would yeah you know, gotcha. he was a very uh normal looking guy mm-hmm. so he really didn't have to do much to entice he was a good looking guy mm-hmm. but uh, i mean i wouldn't hit it no, I wouldn't. Either. I'm just but he saying, was known to be. Like, he, I mean, some of the women said he was he was charming. Well, this is the same yeah. women that think well, Michael maybe Myers is funny. hot. Like I don't know that we can listen to <laughs> everybody on this. One thing I will give him credit for, or at least the costume department. So many movies from the 70s and 80s, and probably some of the 90s too, would have put him into black leather hmm. during his like you know out the the first scene with the couch. If you directed this movie in 1978 or 1984, he would have had like a black leather vest and black leather pants and like just that that look that so many movie it's like a trope that movie makers made in that era for the kind of sketchy bad guy. Hey guys, Dan and Post. After we recorded this, I watched the movie Cruising for the first time, and it turns out I was actually on the nose with how they present stalkers in the late 70s. So. Yeah, and mm. for him to just look like a regular kind of, you know, bumbling homeless guy. 
yeah, I think that comes from the Way influence of, yeah, the real life influence from the FBI uh, behavioral um, agents that basically said this is this was this guy's mo, this was this guy's mmo. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, Gary Heidnick was another one they kind of based it on. So uh, he was more like the dungeon in the basement kind of influence. So he had Ten Bundy as the kidnapper, Gary Heidnick as the dungeon um, hole in the hole in the floor, and then you had the Ed Gein, which was the you know making making this body suit and using bones and stuff as furniture. So he, I think he was a mixture of the three. Definitely. And is it just a straight up psycho reference to had have, have the woman in the tub down in the dungeon? That is that Mrs. Lipman in the tub? His mother figure. That might be his mother. Yeah. Because they it's so decayed, and yeah, they're finding bodies that he's leaving of the other women. But why would he keep one? It's got to be her, right? Like. Yeah. So you've got mother in the basement. She's just in a tub, instead of. Mm. Mm. Well, you know the reference I got. <laughs> it it was it was almost like a phenomena. Ooh, it was a little bit like mm. the, the pool full of. There's a few things skulls. about this movie that was very phenomena. Ooh, go the, on. The rock music in the background. Yeah. When she was in the house. Yep. Uh, it was almost not out of place, but was like she's. You have the dog barking. You have the girl screaming. You have this loud music. It's just chaos. And I was the first thing I thought of was was phenomena. Is that this movie's shower scene? Maybe. Ooh, interesting. Maybe. It definitely definitely wasn't the cross-eyed bug guy. <laughs> yeah, he was. <laughs> Is that cool. a trope? <laughs> That's that was my connection to phenomena for the. I mean, yeah, good. I guess they do have a lot of bugs, guys. Look at me accidentally delivering phenomena just on time. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> lots of bugs. Lots of bugs. Very cool. So yeah, I'm, that that's what I would say about the. Uh, I, I I think in the '90s, I, I remember there was a big obsession with, and there might still be, an obsession with the serial killers. Like people were collecting stuff. They were visiting their graves. They were like, they were like celebrities in a weird way. I don't know if it was the whole goth movement or whatever, but there was a lot of people that were doing that. And it, it, part of it has to do with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. A lot of horror movie fans were yeah. following these guys. Yeah, if anyone's out there doing that, don't. I mean, I'm not going to judge how you live, but... It's, it's a big market. I know a lot of people like collect letters that were written by Ted Bundy. And like, the, there's a whole... It's a weird culture yeah. out there. So like, one thing that I don't know if you guys caught, because it's pretty obscure and kind of tangentially related, but... We're talking about who uh, Ted Levine's character is based on, uh, mm. old James Gum. Uh, Hannibal the Cannibal. I'm not too familiar with my cannibal serial killers. Who's the one that used to eat guys? Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer. So Jeffrey Dahmer, yeah. of course, eats people. But I don't remember him being like particularly like educated or cool or chill or anything. Right. So that's, there's an exaggeration. But one reference, I don't know. So guys, she's talking to Hannibal Lecter in his cell. And his first drawing he shows her is Florence, right? Mm -hmm. Now, are you familiar with the monster of Florence? I'm not. No. 
he was a, it's be. an unsolved case uh just a guy slashing up ladies kind of jack the ripper style jack the in ripper the 70s style. and 80s in florence italy was that the one where the there was like catacombs built in the house and the uh people were getting lured to this house and then just never getting out no 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 that this is like literally in the 70s and 80s and there's it, it just women getting chopped up jack the ripper okay. style it's really graphic and horrible if you want to read about it don't uh you but uh the movie <laughs> i mean the they're very intentionally putting him in florence in the 80s mm. so like oh maybe hannibal lecter's also the monster of florence and so that's kind that's of fun very yeah. like in there for the you know the real the the deep italian murderer fans i don't know mm. it's a very unique <laughs> group but whatever choice they were making i love i love the choice to make him who he was like it makes him so much scarier to have that psychological i mean he's he's cutting you up psychologically first mm-hmm. so to me that's pretty awesome you don't want to be analyzed like that by somebody who could just i don't know it, it almost drive you mad like like he does with Mig. Like he Migs, he could totally drive you mad just by talking to you. Right. And that's what uh Clarice was warned about. Right. Um in the beginning. And you see him do it constantly. So like he does it with her, she doesn't she doesn't buy into it. But then he does it to the senator mm-hmm. and she totally buys into it. Yeah. And nothing he said is true. <laughs> but he totally he totally drove her to the edge. So I have a problem. Do you guys want to hear about my problem? Sure. No. I do have one problem with this movie, so when we do get to that. Okay. Well, this is just a general complaint. I don't like that his name is Hannibal and that he's a cannibal. Mm. I don't like it. It's too on the nose. (laughs) Too forced. Like, if he was Hannibal Lecter and there were rumors he was a cannibal, but he wasn't actually a cannibal, I'd be like, you know... It's kind of a catchy nickname because it rhymes. But for them to be like, uh, his name's Hannibal and he eats people. I'm like, man, you lost me a little bit. Yeah. Eh. Eh. It's really kind of irrelevant that he's a cannibal, though. Like, they, that really wasn't necessary in the story. Other than the fact that he it just adds the fear factor. It it really does nothing for the character. His His true horror is his mind f that he does and then he he'll bite your face off if you get too close but i think the cannibal thing really doesn't matter i think it it what it does is it it produces a great like juxtaposition between how terrible and horrible and effed up he is versus how smart and analytical he is and Mm -hmm. that is the same person right so, you know, like when Clarice first went in there and the uh, the warden, whatever his name was, he showed her the picture of what he did to the nurse that leaned over him. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just adds to the terror of uh, and adds to the danger. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, and then he pointed out that, you know, his heart rate would never went above mm-hmm. 85. Like he did it cool as a cucumber. It's funny. I, I I found a quote from uh from Hopkins, basically talking about what you what you said. He's he said that first scene where he they come across, they come to the glass and he's standing there and he just looks like mm-hmm. he couldn't hurt a fly. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like he, they purposely did that because he knew for 10 minutes you heard nothing but horror stories about this character mm-hmm. from everybody. Mm-hmm. And don't get close. He can bite your face off. Yep. His heart rate won't go up. Uh, look what he did here. They couldn't even reattach the tongue. Like all these different things. Mm-hmm. You're just, And then you see this guy and he looks like you know, high school professor. I mean, to be and fair, then, he did eat the tongue. Which makes it awful hard to reattach. <laughs> I guess that's the one time it really comes in handy that he's a cannibal. Right. But he said, he said, always play the opposite of what the audience expects. Hmm. And it makes it much, all the more scary. That's what he said. So that's how he played it. Because Demi asked him, what, you know, do this or that. He goes, well, where do you want me to be? And he said, I don't know. Do you want to sit? Do you want to do this? And he's, and he's like, I want to stand right dead center. I just want to stand there. And that was his idea. Yeah. And it's like iconic when she comes to the, to the glass and he's just standing there. Can I ask a serious question? Am I supposed to like Hannibal? I am supposed to like him, right? It, it, it kind of has that same feel as like a, a Marvel villain where he has so many levels. Like you almost feel for like him. Like at the end. <laughs> but at you the shouldn't. End, at the end I'm like, yeah, eat that guy. Yeah. He was a dick. Yeah. I I don't know. So, George, did you catch that the uh, the House of Horrors that she's going through, especially once she busts through into his, like, moth lair, mm-hmm. really has, like, a Batman Begins meets Chainsaw feeling? Like, it's a lot like the house in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm. but yes. it's just a little bit more realistic and a little less dirty. Yeah. I mean, I, did, I wasn't thinking of those things uh, when I was watching her going through it, um, but now that you pointed out, yeah, I can see that. Are you talking about down in the basement or when he, she first comes in the house? Down in the basement. There's a point at which yeah. she breaks through like a door and it goes from right. like scary basement to like horror show. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Man, I had the smell down there. Oh, man. Probably still not as bad. <laughs> Although it looks so moist. Just. Yeah. Ugh, yuck. But whatever. So funny that this is directed by the guy that did Caged Heat. And married to the mob. I mean. <laughs> wow. Good job, Jonathan Demi. You, you did good. Freaking killed it. How about the, uh, I, I guess it wasn't really an autopsy, but when in the funeral home, when mm. they when they bring the body in in the bag and they open it up. You smelled it. Yeah. You smelled it. Yeah. Yeah. And. <laughs> and That's good acting. And Clarice starts, you know, taking her notes and describing the things. Mm-hmm. And all I could think of was what I'm imagining is way worse than mm-hmm. what they could show me here. It just was, like, you know, just like the stabs from Psycho. Yep. And Well, heck, like you know, the picture of, of the things. nurse who got her face all jacked up. Like, you never have to exactly. see it. Yeah. And so it's way worse. Yep. What's great about that is that you caught that, but the subtlety of what she does, like, they're just like, this is... They've done this before. So they're just putting their menthol or whatever it is, that, that mm-hmm. balm on their nose, yep. tossing it around like, all right, this is like the fifth body we did this week. And then she's getting the ink ready and they take that thing off and they show her reflection and she just stops. Like that's the first time she's smelling that. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you could totally see that in everything she's doing. Yep. And she's not even like facing the camera and you see it. Yep. And I was just like, oh man. Now, George, I could totally smell that room. If this was a year ago, before we did all these uh, casty pods, would you have caught the subtlety in that movement that she did then, or even better, 
the scene you talked about, the reflection uh, of Lecter as you see her talking to him. Would you have caught details like that? Would you have been like, oh, that's cool? Or would you have just not even realized it until we put you through season one? Probably, I probably would have thought the reflection was cool because mm-hmm. you couldn't really miss that. But after watching uh, 11 Jason movies, <laughs> I really, really appreciate the acting. I think, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think we yeah. can take enough away, or we can't give enough credit to Silent Night, Deadly Night for really getting you ready for this movie. That's true, too, yeah. Punish! <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, th- this movie is everything I've bitched about when we talk about bad acting and I'm like, yeah, this is exactly what I'm talking about. You have the same written words. Like if this movie didn't have good actors, it's a movie of the week. Yeah. It's a, it's a CBS, NBC, ABC movie of the week. Mm -hmm. And that shows because there are movies just like this that you watch it and it's almost like it's a chore to watch because the acting, you're not buying what they're saying. Not with this one. They're, they're acting. These guys are playing. They're they're playing parts. So every little thing they do, they're they're they made a choice and you're on board. And yeah. that's what you want. So even if uh Ted Levine goes off and does anything, you're buying it. Because just like the the Lecter introduction, like that first time you meet him, anything he does after that, you're buying it. Mm-hmm. Because that first line, you're on. He's got you. So to me, that's that's what I've always complained about movies with bad actings where I'm just like, oh my God, that's so bad. That's such a great line. And they threw it away. This movie, there's not one line thrown away. No, and and I want to bring up his escape from the uh, from his cell too. Did you figure out it was him at all? No. You know what I thought? This is what I really appreciated. The pen. Right, mm. so obviously he steals the pen, and you think that he's gonna f somebody up with a pen. He doesn't do that, Mm-mm. not at all. He takes a little teeny tiny piece of it that he can hide in his mouth, so that he can get his cuffs off. You know, mm-hmm. Th- okay, so that's beautiful. Didn't see that coming from the pen at all. And then, I you know obviously I don't you don't realize it until I guess until. Whoever that w- the officer no 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 when the officer on top of the um on top of the elevator mm-hmm. falls down that's when you realize that Han like that he's not that Hannibal's not there anymore and there's only three people involved in that situation one of them's dead the other one's on top of an elevator the guy they just took out is Hannibal mm-hmm. and he just took the other guy's face. <laughs> That was, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's funny is it, when you watch it again because you will. Uh, Dan and Post, uh, we all rewatched this movie after we recorded. We were all so enamored with it. I watched it with my wife, Travis, George. We all watched it at least one more time after this. You'll notice the actor that they picked to play Pemery looks like, yeah, Hannibal. He looks just like Anthony Hopkins, but with more hair. So. When he's laying there, you're not going. Wait a minute, that's like. But when you now you know when you watch it, you can tell it's him from the get go. Oh, it's, mm. it's absolutely him. I I watched it today real close just to see, and because I'm looking 
for it, it's plain as day. But I think there's a little bit of that like ick factor that you think it's a guy mm-hmm. all shredded up. And so you just, you look at it, you acknowledge it. But the first time you really don't want to look at it as, you know, you're not investigating it. You're just right. on the ride and it's gross and you don't want to look directly at it. And they use that to their advantage to just slip one by you. And they purposely have all that chaos going on around you. Mm-hmm. Because you're just assuming. But the the movie buff in me, when I watch it now, I, I almost think if it was me back then, I would have figured it out because they spent too much time on him. It was almost like, it was obvious. But at the time, you're just like, you don't even think of that because you're just thinking of everything else going on. So it's very well done, but it's so obvious. I don't know, man. The last time <clears throat> I watched it, after a big break, I had, you know, I'd read the books uh, in between, and then it had been like 10 years, so I'd forgotten ha- the details of the escape. So I was just like, okay, I don't remember how he gets out of here. Oh, there's a dead guy. Okay. Oh, crap. That's it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I fell for it again not too long ago, just a couple of years. So I don't know, man. They do that a few times in this movie, that, that it's perfectly edited to where just when you're going to figure it out, they reveal it. Oh, shoot. That so, reveal where you find out that they're going to the, the HRT, the hostage rescue house. team's going to yeah. the wrong house, is so well done. Like, I knew today mm-hmm. that it was happening. I, I remembered that one. But I was just like, they are just playing the audience here. They are playing George. There's no way George yeah. can know that this is going to happen because it's so artfully mm-hmm. done. Yeah, even with down to the doorbell. Yeah. Like, it's how'd perfect. You, how'd you do that, with that, George? Did they get you? I had no idea. So good. Yeah, it was good. It's a gag that's been done many times, but they—I they, think they might have been one of the first ones of a, of our generation that has done that to where, it really wouldn't have been given away, like it was so well done. Just every time they touch the doorknob or the uh, doorbell, the bell rings down in the basement. You're mm-hmm. just, it's so well edited that there was no way you were going to figure that out. It's yeah. almost a cheat, but it, mm-hmm. they pull it off, so you're just cool with it. It's just like, oh, okay, yeah, you got me. <laughs> Here's the receipt. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one of the things I noticed watching it now that I wouldn't have noticed back then was all the close-ups in the, like, did you notice how much camera work was done in close-up? Yeah. Well, and, and not only close-up, but those are one shots, like zoomed in, yeah. one head looking zoomed right in. at the camera, fourth wall busting one shots. Yep. That is, uh, that's balls, man. Nobody does that. It is balls. And for someone who actually took a few classes like to learn about camera work as an actor, that's hard to do. You have every little thing you do is on a 20 foot by 30 foot screen. Every little twitch, every little, you know, tick, every, every single thing the camera picks up, there's a blur issue. If, if the, uh, they're zooming this and that, like it'll constantly go in and out if you're moving too much. So when they film those close-ups, you have to, basically not do any body acting at all it's all in the eyes and what you're saying you can't can't be doing this with your head oh you can't see me but you can't (laughs) can't be moving your head around or you know doing a lot of gestures with your hands it's very close up all your acting is in the words you're saying and in your eyes you're really not doing those performances on the night are you you're you're not doing it for the guy in the back of the room no (laughs) (laughs) definitely not you've done your homework at that point you know exactly the yeah it's so good so when that when you see him like that that last scene when uh they're in the jail they're in the the room and he's trying to get her to wrap up her story about the lambs just every close-up with him and I, I I sat and marveled at it, just yeah. and her too, 
like the two of them are just it's like a just a beautiful volley back and forth and they're both just close up like you said breaking the fourth wall you're not supposed to look at the camera but this movie everybody's looking at the camera and it's just it's like you said it's perfection it's a masterpiece yeah i love i love the title of this movie now hmm. i had no idea obviously you know what silence of the lambs had to do with anything until they started talking about why she left the ranch in montana mm-hmm and, and why she's fighting so hard to find this girl. Oh my god. It's every I don't know. Just everything about this movie's perfect. Well, and yes. so <laughs> one thing yes, that I just love and it just the whole movie you're thinking why do we have precious? Mm-hmm. Why do we have this annoying fluffy dumb dog? Maybe that's just me. I'm more of a hound guy. Don't like the fluffy mm. dogs. Uh but here's the thing. That image when Clarice looks down into the pit and the girl she's trying to save is holding this very lamb looking dog. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, framed within a frame within a frame, just a perfect moment. Yep. So good. So then I like precious again. <laughs> she's worth it. I See, mean, I it makes a lot more I sense than having a pet lamb, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think precious kind of plays a bigger part than we all thought. Like, I never thought about the fact that usually that's the kind of dog a girl has. That's a, that's a woman dog. Not necessarily. Kind of is. Dude, nice, like, nicely groomed, like a puffball. My neighbor, like, that obviously, like, goes to the gym every day and is, like, 6'4 and, like, 300 pounds of muscle has mm-hmm. a dog like that. It's his girlfriend's dog. You haven't seen him tuck. <laughs> you haven't seen him tuck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just kind of plays into my theory that that dog is his mother's dog. It just doesn't seem like his dog. Or it's just his accessory for what he's becoming. I mean, that's the thing. He is such a nebulous character that it all fits whether you take it all, you know, all the evidence or you just look at certain sections. Like it all, it's a cogent picture, even if we don't have the full picture. Yeah, it's open to interpretation. But God, the close-up acting in this. Do you think they're doing each other's coverage the whole time? I mean, I imagine at least Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins have got to be in the same room for every shot, the way they're acting off each other. They're not doing any stand-ins, I I don't think. I wouldn't imagine. Not with those performances. No, No. and it's, it's funny to watch Hopkins talk about it. Like the, he, I saw one interview where he said that scene where he talks about her shoes and just like rips her apart and uh, you look like a rube, that, that scene. Mm-hmm. And then her reaction should be to break down and cry, but she holds it back, but not enough. She still gets choked up, mm-hmm. but she does this thing, this head tilt, and she's like, you know, can you put that same thing to yourself, you know? But she's doing all these things, and he, the way he's talking about it, he's like, I can't explain it, but it's just phenomenal to watch. Yeah. And to hear Anthony Hopkins say that is, uh, that's that's pretty much all you need, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not a, I don't know Jodie Foster's work beyond this and like Nell and the accused. Like, I'm really not a Jodie Foster devotee, mm-hmm. but like, I mean, I, I kind of get what. <laughs> God. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh yeah. She is kinda, you know. I've I I'm a fan. I've seen her do a lot of good work in a lot of She's movies. She's just so good, man. 
Anyway, yeah. I, I still don't know about the accent, but whatever. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. So a while back, George, uh, I rambled on almost uh, to the point of excess about a certain FBI profiler, John Douglas. Do you remember this discussion? We talked about it in Halloween. I do. And mm-hmm. how yeah. I was afraid that Michael Myers might be jerking off after he stabs all these women, but then it turns out he probably mm-hmm. isn't jerking off. Thank goodness. Yes. Thank goodness. Jack Crawford in this movie, the mentor of Clarice, is based pretty much one-to-one on John Douglas. Isn't that cool? Wait, who is who? So the guy in the movie... Jack Crawford is her boss. Yeah, the guy who sends Clarice in to Hannibal Lecter's confidence, essentially. Yes. He, Mm -hmm. the character Jack Crawford, is like the head of behavioral science at the FBI Academy. So like the guy that wrote the book. He's based on, directly based on John Douglas, the guy that wrote the book. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, Thomas Harris used to just kind of hang out with those guys and pick their brains for these books. Oh, cool. So you just, yeah, it all comes full circle. <laughs> nice. And luckily none of these guys jerked off on any of the dead ladies. That's true. That we know of. I mean. <laughs> so I guess Miggs was one of those types of killers then. Oh, God. Mm. I would watch a full movie on who Miggs was. I don't know. <laughs> the, the, the proportion of screen time for Miggs versus Miggs's jizz being on the screen, Yeah, it's a high enough proportion that I don't think I'd want a whole movie of that. <laughs> I'm curious. Unless it was in, like, in there, 1982 red-green 3D, then it might be hysterical. <laughs> You're not the least bit curious of why Miggs is in there? I, I come on. I think I've got a pretty I I uh, good idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's maximum security. What's he doing to other people if that's what he's doing to himself? What I want to know is why he doesn't have plexiglass, because it seems like yeah, he was right? pretty adept at the fling. <laughs> yeah, it was blood, right? That's what he said it was. If I, if I made a movie based on anyone in that jail, it'd be Barney. Barney seemed Barney. like super yes. likable kind of a chill dude like what's his home life mm-hmm. like that he can like balance it with this horrible life like there's your there's your meat i want to know what that yes. guy's all about and he you could totally connect him to almost every horror movie like what other serial killers came through there oh mm. my god the I would stories he could tell you hmm that, that would be very interesting i think let's get rob rob zombie on the phone oh geez have him make the <laughs> make He's, the mix movie barney seems like the kind of guy <laughs> that would treat everyone with like their human dignity mm. you know no matter if they're serial killers or whatever they did you have to imagine well, him know. and Lecter get along but him and Miggs probably don't right yeah because he even says like when his face is being squished by that cage and he's talking to his uh, psychiatrist he says something to Barney when he leaves the room is very respectful yeah so yeah they did have a good relationship I'd be curious to see that prequel I mean, they, are, they already still did alive. one. <laughs> yeah, I know, but Barney's not in it. <laughs> Why didn't they put Barney in Red Dragon? <sighs> oh, my gosh. Guys, though, Barney is amazing. Miggs is gross. But I want to talk about the most amazing close-up acting that Jodie Foster does in the entire movie. So good that I rewound it twice today just to watch mm. half a second of acting. It's when she tries to like turn this great courtesy that they've got for each other and this great understanding between two people into fill out my survey. I strive for fives because the way that she delivers the line, the last three or four words, it looks like she's holding back vomit 
And she's like, yeah. oh, my God, I tried that and it failed. And her face <laughs> at the end is just the saddest, like, oh, no. So perfect. And then and then he throws it at her. And then like, he's he's like, just like, he rips into her. Oh. But her little, like, oh, yeah. my God, why did I do that? Yeah. Is her, her instant regret. I mean, if I could make, like, a, a, a GIF, my wallpaper on my computer, it might be her just going, oh, oh. <laughs> like, it's so funny. Uh, yeah. But it's so perfectly acted. Like, yeah. It's not too big. It's not too small. It just lands right there. Oh, it's so good. Everything about that scene lands exactly where it's supposed to land. Like I, I mean, I, in Mig's case. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, uh, yeah. That God. that when when George actually acquires this DVD, that will be two scenes that you will wear out your DVD watching. Yeah. Like they are. <laughs> there's <laughs> what's the old quote uh, about the VHSs at the rentals? You know, you can always find the nude scenes in the VHSs because it starts getting the trackings a little off because people have rented <laughs> them and they keep rewinding and fast forwarding rewinding to that rewatching basic instinct and all that stuff. Yeah. You can find the part in the movie that everybody keeps watching. That's the way that those scenes, like I would watch those two, three times a day. That To me, if, if, if I were just bored, I would just pop that DVD in and watch those two scenes. I just, anything with Lecter and the fact that he's only in it for like 14 minutes total or 18 minutes total is just it's the best 18 minutes ever yeah it's that's almost, what she said i don't know i would watch it over and over again let's pop it in right now <laughs> i really did <laughs> I, when I, I finished it i almost turned around and watched it again just because the first time i was taking notes and kind of analyzing what i wanted to think about during tonight's episode and i, I kind of just wanted to watch it for fun again so i might do that yeah. tomorrow what the heck why not maybe do it maybe do a three three in a row you know, do a little, little manhunter, follow it up, a little silence, follow it up with Red Dragon because I don't like Hannibal. What's yeah, that? Hannibal's not that good. Red Dragon's good, good stuff. Manhunter, man, so good. Is it? I actually have seen uh, Red Dragon. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Huh. I have seen it. So you, <laughs> and that's you're why familiar with my yeah. favorite joke in the entire like. Uh, saga, which is the the Billy Rubin joke, so good. Billy Rubin, remind me. So in this movie, and it uh, it almost kind of cheapens it a little bit because if you've read the books, it's almost like formulaic at this point that at some point in the story, Hannibal Lecter gives a fake name and makes Chilton look like a fucking asshole. Mm. Because in Red Dragon, mm-hmm. he does that the first time. If you don't know about that, though, it's so good that he makes Chilton look like such an asshole in this movie. But mm. the mm. joke is better in Red Dragon because he tells him the name is Billy Rubin. And so he gets out on the news and he's like, I know that the killer's name is Billy Rubin. And it turns out if he was an actual doctor, like he <laughs> proclaims to be, he would know he'd know that Billy Rubin is a uh, chemical that makes your poop turn brown. Right. So he's out there like... <laughs> I don't know biology. Also, I just said the guy's name is Poop. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's really good. And then in this one, it's just, oh, his name is Fool's Gold. Okay. Eh. That's funny. Eh. <laughs> so because I watched the first one. Which is uh, actually. The first one, or the prequel, rather. Yeah, they made mm. it after Hannibal. Yeah, as Weird. soon as uh, the uh, mortician, I guess, pulls the uh, chrysalis out of the girl's throat, I immediately just thought, transformation. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. 
because I think uh, Doctor Lecter says something about transformation in the uh, mm-hmm. in the first scene, and then I see that and I'm like, oh, transformation. And all I can think of was, do you see? You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the underlying theme. It's I think before, yeah. after, before, after. Yeah. We've discussed this a few times with other movies that uh, it's always been misunderstood that the character of Buffalo Bill and and Norman Bates and like all that stems from being transgender. I saw Ted Levine interview where he I referenced it earlier and he talks about how they at no point wanted him to come off as gay or homosexual. Mm-hmm. And they they made enough references to the fact that he wants to not transform into a woman uh, because he thinks he's a woman, but he wants to trans he wants to do what he's doing. Uh, he wants to be inside of a. It's like a, a weird sexual. Like he wants to. I want to be with you. I'm going to be with you, in you. Like it was like a weird discussion. I'm just like, wow, I didn't even think of that. But that's yeah. that makes it even worse. Well, that's interesting. Well, I don't know if that's something that he picked up from his own look into the character's motivation or whatever. The movie's pretty explicit that it's it's not a sexual thing at all. It's his own his desire to get away from the identity he possesses. He interprets as I am trans. But really it's just I'm a big piece of shit because the world has beat me into this pile of shit that I am. Right. And he doesn't recognize that that's all it is. Right. So he's like... And Lecter, Lecter says exactly that. Yes. He makes it very clear. Well, that he, he thinks he is trans, but, he's, but not. he's not. It was almost like, and that's how it was written, that he's not trans where he thinks he's a woman or he thinks he's he's a man trapped in a woman's body or he's a woman trapped in a man's body. He's not transsexual. He's not trans um, vestite. He is almost mocking of like he's hetero. He's into the women. He's into women. That's how they explained it. But it's almost like his connection to his mother. Like they do all these psychological things where it makes it look like he wants to be a woman, but he's not. He doesn't want to be a woman. He wants to portray what it means to be a woman or something. I don't know how they explain it, but it has nothing to do with being trans. Okay. In their mind, how they were excited. I'm not saying it in my opinion. That's what they yeah, were saying. Yeah. It's trying harder than Psycho, but it's definitely doing the same kind of work as Psycho, which is to make a distinct point that this is not some kind of, you know, uh, anti-trans, anti-gay right. thing. Right. Well, Clarice even says that. She's like, trans are usually you know, subdued, they're usually, you know, they're not violent. They're not, that's right. like, she kind of lays it out that it's not, hasn't, doesn't have anything to do with trans because right, they're usually passive. That's when he cuts her off yeah, and he's like, passive. right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, here, here's his quote, Dan. He said, I want, I want you. This is uh, Ted Levine. I want you. I want to skin you, then crawl inside you. That's how he quoted it. He wants to crawl and he wants he wants the woman and he wants to be inside her, but in a weird way. That's crazy. That makes it even it's creepy as shit, man. Yeah, I wonder how much of that he got from the writers and how much of that is just character study to try to get him to the point of that character. Because, you know, that's like mm. two different 
elements to the character, what they give you and what's in the script, and then also what you need in your own head to get you where you need to go. In that Ted Levine interview, he mentioned that during his character study, he, uh, you know, how you would go and you would hang out with people that are of that character. So he hung out with, with drag performers and trans people, and he said that it's not, after hanging out, he basically came to the conclusion that it was not necessary because it, it wasn't the same. It wasn't needed. Uh, because in, what he was playing was what something he was playing completely was something completely different. completely different than what he read on the page. I like it. Yeah, I like that a lot. I I, I was kind of shocked that he he put so much into it because it looks like he kind of plays it on face value, but he seemed to have a lot of uh, insight. He actually said after doing and saying some of his lines, he felt like icky, like he had to, like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He seemed like a nice guy, and it's like you look at him; he's just totally engrossed in that part. Well, I think which is the opposite. Isn't that of exactly what Lecter. you want, though? Right? You don't want it to look like he's putting in all this work. You know, you don't want him to be right. James Woods working at the Quickie Mart on The Simpsons and scraping the nacho cheese off while you know. But yeah, when it, when it looks so effortless, but it is so horrifying. I mean, that's just doing your work and doing mm-hmm. just the right amount. God, he's good. They're all good. I like how he refers to her in it. the ditch as it. Yeah. After Oh. After Clarice is thinking when she's watching the newscast, oh, that's beautiful. Right. That's so smart what they did. They're trying to get him to see her as a person. Mm. And then Let's it cuts almost immediately or like a couple minutes later to that. It puts the lotion on its skin. It it puts the lotion in the bucket or it go watch this. that scene again. It's like, <laughs> there's so much going on there. Like when he, th- when he first starts talking, he's like, it ro- it puts, it puts the lotion on its skin. It does this when it was told or it gets the hose again. Like he's just totally just, mm-hmm. but then it, you watch him slowly go deeper and deeper. Like when she starts crying, he gets choked up. Yeah. Yeah. And he, you almost, I mean, you don't feel for him, but it's almost like you think she's making a breakthrough. Yes. And then he's like, put the fucking lotion in the basket. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, we're back. Yeah, he's. Yep. And then he starts making fun of her and he's like, oh, which I, we referenced in Texas Chainsaw when they were yeah. screaming. Mm-hmm. And I never made the two, the connection. But yeah, when he starts that lower lip quiver, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> like He's just. So good. There's so many good choices. It's the Oscar version, the Oscar-worthy version right. of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? You just you move yeah. it from Leatherface to leather wig. But that wig is so subtle, you can't really, unless you're looking for it, you don't really notice it's a scalp. I saw it. Like, they purposely did it so it's not obnoxious, so you're just yeah. like, oh my God, it's a scalp. No, like, I noticed you that. You had that kind of look. I noticed the mm-hmm. seam right by his eye. Which is, I again, good filmmaking. They make him do his eye makeup. Mm-hmm. And that's how you see the fleshy part of the yes. wig, where the the wide shot when he's dancing in front of the camera, it just looks like a wig. Yes. So if you missed it when he's putting his eye makeup on, then you just think it's a wig. Yes. And also the attention is on the eye makeup, right? Or at least it's supposed yeah. to be. Excellent camera work in this movie. Oh yeah. my God, yes. Hey guys, you know what? If I was a cop, and don't hold this against me if I do become a cop eventually, once they need more cops. <laughs> <laughs> But if I was a cop 
I'd pull over every full-size van I saw. Mm. Just see mm. how things are going. <laughs> mm. Stop and frisk. Yeah, I hear you. Because that opening bit with him and the, the senator's daughter, you're like, hey, yeah, he looks... I mean, like I was saying earlier, he doesn't look too out of place for a, an apartment parking lot. He's acting right. convincingly hobbled but friendly and normal-ish for that kind of situation. But then you realize, oh, but he's got a full-size van, and I never would have gone mm-hmm. near a full-size van. Mm-mm. 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 I tell my kids all the time about that, keeping that guard up. And what's funny is I watched this with my 15-year-old, and as soon as that happened, I said, it takes a second. Yeah. That's it. It just takes a second. that You let your guard down. They already know what they're going to do. If you don't assume that that creepo is going to put you in the back of that van... And she voluntarily climbs into that van. Ugh. I've always said, like, The Lovely Bones and this movie are two movies that I would totally make every one of my kids watch at an early age. Because it does. It just takes one second and one stupid decision. She got in the van. <laughs> yeah. She was she was too Ugh. agreeable. Well, she was probably raised that way. I know be, that her gut be. was telling her not to, but she did it anyway because she, she felt like it would be insulting not to. Right. When she plays it Which so again, well in the parking are these, lot. These things that we're talking about are not said. Mm-mm. Like, that. even that character in that scene was acting so well. Yeah, just know. her little hesitation before she even asks if he needs help. Her mm-hmm. face yep. does all the work. <laughs> yep. She basically says in that face, this guy might be a killer, but let me ask him if he needs help. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I might regret this, with but uh. yeah, she should have went with her instinct, and she didn't. And that's what a lot of the victims, like the, I think the two or three people that got away from Ted Bundy and were you know lived to tell the tale. That's what they said. Like he's so charming. In hindsight, yeah, the flags were there, but in the moment, you don't think of it because he just looks like. You know, See, now, your uncle. If, if this had taken place in New Jersey, we definitely would have just minded our own business. <laughs> There's five guys on my block right now putting couches in their vans. <laughs> and I'm not volunteering. <laughs> and I'm not going to help any of them. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to mind our own business. Help me get this couch in my van. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> no, James Gum. Go away. <laughs> not today. It's hard to lift a lot of weight with a tuck going. Oh, God. What's funny is you couldn't really tell he even had a cast when she was when she first stopped to see him carrying carrying the couch. You can't see the cast. No, you really didn't see it until she approached him. But it does give good explanatory power as to why he can't mm-hmm. lift the thing up as she gets closer. Like I think you're supposed to be experiencing that as she is too. So your yeah. guard goes down like, Oh yeah, look, he's got a cast. Mm-hmm. Just as now, she would that scene have played would that play different for you if they didn't give that little segue? What little segue? The the mentioning of, uh, I think Lecter says, you know, our Billy might be finding his next victim right now. So it kind of gives you like that heads up, this is Billy. Like oh, if they would have not, knew, yeah, I knew if they Billy not did right the night vision, like just a little bit of editing where they just show her come home, this guy's doing the couch, you're not really as sure right away that that's, like they tell you flat out, this is, this is yeah. the guy. Yeah. If they didn't do that, would you have been a little more shocked when he punched her in the face no 
Because no. it was a full-size van. <laughs> <laughs> the first couple times I watched this, I always thought that opening bit with the night vision was so unnecessary. 80s. Right. But then I realized it's that it's only to foreshadow the end, and then it's yep. like, okay, I guess this is the only place you've got in the movie to put it. So right. it makes a lot more sense than him just all of a sudden having night vision. So, okay, <laughs> fine. <laughs> I'll buy it. <laughs> it's, it's a perfect movie, fine. It's a compromise I'm willing to make. <laughs> so I never saw Manhunter. Oh, you should check out Manhunter. It's good. Because I think when... I finally saw this movie. It was such an old, I think, what is it, mid eight, mid 70s, early 80s? When did that come out? I want to say it's like 87. Oh, really? Yeah, it's relatively close to the same. Okay. I'm looking. Yeah, it, it just, by the time I found 86. out about it. Yeah, that was right. Woo. Okay. I'll have to check it out. Although it's weird because it's got a different Lecter. Right. But what's crazy is Brian Cox, who plays Lecter in Manhunter, him and Anthony Hopkins, like, will trade off some stage roles. Like, they get cast in mm. the same stuff, alternating casts and stuff. It's very... The two of the guys, they're they're very much on the same level. Although I think, mm-hmm. you know, obviously for uh, the, you know, the, the tentpole history of the character, we're all going to go with Hopkins. But Brian Cox does a very serviceable job. It's a good hmm. flick. I'll check it and out. there's lots of good St. Louis in that. So if you mm. are a Missourian, like certain people I know, you can be like, hey, I've been to that airport. St. Louis isn't as cool as Kansas City, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was excited to find out they filmed this movie in Pittsburgh. I didn't even know that. I thought they shot in D.C. and in Ohio, but it was all it was all Pittsburgh and D.C. Yeah, that Quantico stuff is just they literally That's just legit. walking through Quantico yeah. with a 35 millimeter camera, which is fun. Yeah, they got the full run of the place for a couple of days. They were excited about that. They said they even went through a lot of the offices of the, what, what do they call that division? Behavioral science. Or, yeah, behavioral science. They went to the real offices and they said, you know, you could see the pictures of the cases, the open cases on the walls and everything. And they, mm. they said that, that that was all legit. Everything in the movie they saw for real. It would have been funny. <laughs> I, I kind of chuckled today when they show the close up of the bulletin board in Crawford's office. <laughs> if some art, uh, director put a picture of Sas- that infamous Sasquatch <laughs> where he's walking <laughs> away. Yeah. I was like, man, that would be so funny if somebody put that up in like the corner with all those black and white 8x10s and you just see, oh, that was Sasquatch. Not uh, not unlike the uh, Batman suspects in The Dark Knight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, check out Manhunter, man. It. It's yeah, one of those movies that I think at the time, I don't, you know, I, I was a, a baby, so I don't know how it went over mm. in the theaters, but growing up in the 90s, we didn't talk about Manhunter, we only talked about Silence of the Lambs, but then right. it's had kind of a rediscovery, I think, as we've gotten some distance from how good Silence mm. of the Lambs is to really appreciate, you know, it's as good as Red Dragon. Okay. I mean, it's the same See, fucking 86, movie. 86, I was too busy watching, like, the 80s movies. That I didn't even think to watch. I mean, I had already seen Silence when I was old enough. I didn't think to go back and watch Manhunter. I was like, eh, well, I got this Lecter. Because they said that Lecter in that movie is only in it for like six minutes or whatever, right? Yeah, he doesn't. The only one he, scene. They don't have a whole ton of him. He, it's, he's not as involved as he is here. The thing is, it's a Michael Mann movie. Are you a Michael Mann fan, Travis? 
Yeah. Here's my problem with Michael Mann movies. I don't know if you back me up on this, but this has always been my experience. I enjoy watching them. They go by quick. And a week later, I couldn't tell you anything that happened to them. Like, they just don't <laughs> stick with me. I've seen, God, a dozen of his movies. You know, and there right. are some that are all-time favorites. People love Heat, right? Yeah. I can tell you two things that happen in Heat. Uh, Manhunter's one that I have to watch it, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember these parts. These are good movies. But, like, I don't know. For whatever reason, they don't... It's, it gets in there, and it just goes right back out. Like, right. It's in, it's out, it's cool, but it just doesn't stick around like this movie does, where you know I'm quoting it by accident all the time. For whatever reason, Manhunter just doesn't as much. Whereas right. at least Red Dragon, I always have my, do you see? Like That stuck with me pretty good. I'll tell you what, this, uh, this is making me want to go watch it. I'll have to go check it out. It's pretty good. Definitely. What about Hannibal? Are you guys Hannibal fans? I remember being, I think I was at the theater when that came out, and I was angry that they didn't get Jodie Foster. And I kind of was like, come on. Yeah. How do you, how do you not get Jodie Foster? Yeah, that's why, a big why miss. Why make the movie? It's a big old miss. But, I, I mean, the Ray Liotta thing. Eh. I like Julianne more, but it just, I don't know. It, it, it didn't sit well with me. Did you ever read the book? No, I don't read. I had a like a period. I don't remember. I guess this would have been like late high school or early college, and just kind of on a lark, I decided to read all of Thomas Harris's stuff. Mm. So I went all the way back to Black Sunday, which is fine. I liked it better when it was the sum of all fears, but I think Black Sunday did it first. So like whatever. Uh, but then yeah, Red Dragon, awesome. Sounds lambs, awesome. But the book Hannibal. I mean, you want to see what happens when an author gets a giant advance and a deadline? Mm. <laughs> because, mm. I mean, the movie Hannibal com- at one point compresses like five different characters into one and you don't even notice. Like, it, even that character could probably be gone. Like, that book is bad. It's just, it's a stinker. It's a big old stinker. Yeah, it was forced. It's bloated and, forced. and he's just, he's reaching for new, like, new versions of Buffalo Bill, you know, edgy, kind of sexually mm. provocative, scary things that he, it's just, it's that thing where like the first album from a band is really good because they've put so much work into it. And the second album is okay. You know, pretty good. Not as good as the first one, but like, yeah, it's still got the right, but then by the third album, the lead singer's wife is singing harmony and then the band breaks up. That was Hannibal. Right. Hannibal was the weathered of the Thomas Harris books. <laughs> so suits ruin books and movies and music they ruin everything suits ruin everything i don't know if suits ruin this one though i think ego ruined it because i get the impression that once you've mm. written silence of the lambs and you've won oscars with a slasher movie you can pretty much be like hey uh fuck you editor i'm gonna have this character who doesn't need to be here because i'm thomas harris Mm. And hopefully he's I come back it, down from that. But really, I haven't read anything f- from him since it's been any good. So maybe not. Right. I think it also suffers from that whole sequel thing where they try to redo everything that was good in the first one, but then they kick it up like four or five notches because it was already acceptable. So they're like, oh, we'll just take chances. Kind of like I call it the Jim Carrey syndrome 
where it's like, okay, it worked the first time, so now we're going to do it. This one goes to 11. So everything is just... Austin Powers does the same thing, where the first one is great, and then the second one is just like the first one almost frame by frame, but then over-exaggerated. So I think with this Hannibal movie, they took Lecter, they took everything that everybody loved about him in the silence, but it never really connected, A, because Jodie Foster wasn't in the movie, so there's not that chemistry there. There's no familiar face. He's trying to do his thing. It's different enough to where it should have been okay, but it just wasn't a good movie. So I was glad that Red Dragon was a lot better. Serious question. Why would Kansas City Homicide be involved in the Buffalo Bill case? Kansas City? Kansas City Homicide. They're the ones who supposedly uh, gave the name Buffalo Bill. She she attributes it to Kansas City Homicide. Now, she doesn't specify whether it's Kansas City Police Department or FBI Kansas City Field Office, but from what she says, Kansas City Homicide, that'd be the local cops. But mm. like that map mm. they show, all of his stuff is in the the southeast, right? Like, right. That's a little weird. They didn't find any bodies up there. No. no. I mean, there is a river, so maybe they did, and we just didn't hear about it. They don't do a very great job of establishing, except that like picture of the map, right? They don't really <laughs> like go through like his history with the cases. Basically, you just need to know there have been a bunch, and this one is the one that's going to solve the case. Wasn't yeah. it helpful though to see? The markings on the map. Maps are I always do like helpful. a map. wasn't wasn't a super helpful. Like you yeah. didn't even need, you know, like a reference puddle or anything. Yeah, there's a map because you had the map right there, <laughs> and the backpack. <laughs> <laughs> is anybody else as creeped out by Polaroids as I am? I grew yeah, up. With, I grew creepy. up with them. Is it nostalgia? Travis likes Polaroids. <laughs> I don't know, man. Every time. You know, it's creepy, of course, when you see the ones of the girl, the victim lady, clearly yeah. like at first I like I do like the progression of the pictures, though, because at first you're like, oh, she's just taking. Oh, nope, Oh, she's definitely interacting with. The, oh, God, she knew that. Oh, this is Buffalo Bill taking those pictures like mm-hmm. you have this mm-hmm. like progression through. the. That's really good. But even when the feds are using their like their Polaroids, I'm just like, oh, yeah. Polaroids are gross. Camera sound, not as scary as it is in the. Texas chainsaw. But did you notice that the chainsaw noise yeah. is the noise when he turns on the night vision goggles at the end of the movie? Yes. yes. I heard that. I was kind of looking away, and I heard that sound, and my head snapped back. I was like, holy shit, that's the chainsaw sound. <laughs> that's awesome. I didn't notice that. Yeah, that. <laughs> so good. It's a sound of, uh, because everything's done with cell phones now, uh, when you used to take pictures with a regular camera, it would be a charge up of the flash. It's the sound of a capacitor charging. Yeah. Yes. So uh, that sound is very nostalgic. I'm not that young. I have heard that sound. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but it's, it almost seems like a lifetime ago when we had actual cameras. Yeah, it does. But I love that this movie really knows what it is. You know, a lot of people would make a movie like this and try to distance itself from its heritage such that it could say, oh, well, I'm not the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm not psycho. No, I am I am art. I am literature, mm-hmm. you know? And this movie just kind of owns it. Like, this is just Chainsaw for grown-ups now. Yeah. Mm. Really cool. <laughs> it's what a slasher film does when it grows up. Like, it's just... 
the between the script and the filmmakers, they it, they took they took it seriously. All the actors. So yeah, it's it's everything that you wanted those movies to be. Like whenever I watch an 80s slasher film, we've discussed it. This movie would have been so much better if they had done this. This movie would have been 10 times better if they had just done this. It would have been an A-list movie and not a C-list movie if they could have just spent five more minutes on this. And that's what this movie is. Yeah, it, but this, this movie is like a, it's like a slasher with multiple PhDs. Yeah. And, and I totally felt how quickly and easily this could have been a movie of the week type thing. Because I remember in the 80s growing up, you would watch those movies and you're like, oh my God, this, the story's cool, but the, oh, it's just so bad. The execution's bad. Yeah, it's just so bad. So you're like, okay, this, this is a killer. He's stalking. He's going to do this. That poor girl is going to be his victim and whatever. But when you watch it in a movie of the week, you're just like, oh, this is terrible. But this movie takes that same formula. And like when I was telling your wife, about this movie because she's like I don't know and I said no it's it's a murder mystery it's a cop film it's it's forensics it's all this stuff that is is intelligent it's not just a you know a gore fest it's not even a lot of gore in it but whatever is gory is mostly the forensic stuff right so it just keeps it smart which makes it it makes it highbrow I guess like this is just a highbrow slasher film yeah with amazing quotes I think I quote this movie more than than I should. It's one that you do. You don't even realize what you're doing, and then you're just yeah. like, "Oh, that's a really yeah. scary movie." I don't need to be quoting in front of children. Like, <laughs> I say to my kids all the time, "I'm like, all good things to those who wait." <laughs> and they have no idea what I'm talking about, but you don't know what pain is. You know, you say that to your kid <laughs> when they get hurt, and it's like they're belly aching about something. You know, they didn't get hurt, and you're looking at them you're like, "Look, it's." You're fine. Here, just rub yeah. some lotion on it. Rub some lotion on it. <laughs> <laughs> put it in the bucket. Put it in the basket. Like all those things you say, and you probably shouldn't. But you know, I guess as long as you don't yell, "Put the fucking lotion in the basket," <laughs> and you just say, "Put the lotion in the basket," you're good. I think this is as good a time as any to check in on the militarization of our police. Uh, <laughs> This movie is amazing, we might have mentioned, but it's also really interesting because it falls right in the crux of the SWAT team development thing we've talked about in previous episodes where, you know, the 80s SWAT team, especially like the late 70s SWAT team, is literally blue pajamas and a shotgun, right? Mm -hmm. And then we talked about in RoboCop how at the time all these you know, get-ups that they were wearing looked super futuristic, but now they look quaint compared to what we actually have our police wearing. And so where is the, where on the timeline, you know, do these movies fall? And this falls right at the beginning of, like, real-deal SWAT teamification, man. You got MP5s, right? I mean, they're MP5Ks, yeah. so they're a little teeny, but they're kind of adorable when the stock is as big as the gun. It's kind of it's like a mm. dog with big ears. Like, oh, his ears are a little <laughs> big, but he can still do the job. Uh, <laughs> do you guys not talk in the pet voice to your guns like no. I do? <laughs> not yet. I guess that's just me. Uh, it puts the gun oil on its skin, or else it gets jammed again. 
but <laughs> yeah, Davy. You see the ridiculous like. <laughs> I mean, for for today's standards, these really oversized vests that they only put on in like the last moment because they're so heavy they can't wear them all the time. Whereas now SWAT teams, you can wear that stuff all day. I guess it's just interesting. Yeah. It's a it's a quaint period where it's starting to get real, but we still don't quite know what we know now. It's fun to watch. I have to say that's that scene in this movie is the weakest link. That's where I actually sat there and went, mm, the cops. That whole scene, they looked like Keystone Cops. They didn't look like they did an ounce of training. Like, I remember in 7 when they do the SWAT storm of the apartment and all that stuff, the movement, the tactical movement, all that stuff, you could tell they trained. Yeah, I noticed that too. But well, these cops, they looked like they were, I mean, they. I think they were playing it as cops that weren't prepared for this. I'm going to tell yeah. you, man, I don't know. I don't know that what they're doing in this movie is that far off from what they would have been doing in, in 1992. No, I'm not talking about the SWAT team. I'm talking about the the regular cops that were uh, going up to the suite room where the cell was. Like, just the way they were holding their guns. Like, I always look at people holding, is their finger on the trigger? Are they holding it correctly? They didn't look like they had any gun training. That's yeah. how I felt. But then I thought, okay, the SWAT team looks a lot better. Maybe those cops were playing it like, okay, we're not prepared to deal with this, so they're just scared. Because I think Clarice did the same thing towards the end. Like they, the whole movie, they showed her training and this and that, and they showed her at the target range, and she was a lot quicker than everybody else on the draw, and she was accurate, and she was stoic, and she wasn't flustered. But then at the end of the movie, she was completely. Like shaking the gun, she wasn't. Oh she, yeah, she wasn't showing any of that. So I don't know if they did you purposely notice the, did it. Did you notice that uh, that gum approached her from the same angle that she failed her? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they're you know in the the simulation or the swap. Yeah, they simulation. pay that off real nice. Yeah, that was good. I still don't now know. If, Do you? I I need to talk to a firearms expert, but. The idea that she could, while on edge, but still not sure that he's in front of her, pull off a shot or two before he could, just based on the sound right. of his hammer clicking back, that part made me make a face yeah. a little bit. Okay. I said the so same thing. So I'm a firearms expert here. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I'm Do you get a far, theme song? I'm far from it. Yeah, anyone who's ever used a revolver knows that knows that sound mm-hmm. of the hammer coming back. And and if you're trying to get the first shot off you don't cock without the hammer. S- without someone knowing that it's coming, you don't cock the hammer. Right. And I think that shows either they did that on purpose to show his inexperience to be so planned out but not think that that was or maybe he was just brazen. Or maybe he wanted to. Die. Well, he was definitely brazen. Yeah, I mean, his whole interaction with her and like waving his hand in front of the, you know, yeah. I mean, he was definitely on a power trip, uh, the likes of which you'd expect from a rapey murder guy. So, got the best of but him. Would it be possible? But would it be possible to turn around and shoot someone at least two times before they got the hammer cocked all the way back? No. If you heard it, yes. Oh, it's a, yes. It would as be. flustered as she was. Yes, because they even show her when she's pulling those six it's rounds. It's point blank. It's right there. Right, but when she's clicking the the six rounds off, she's squinting. She's not as stoic as she is in the middle of the movie no, where she's doing target not. practice, where they show her shoot the target in the chest. 
So that that was great foreshadowing, but then when it actually happened, she was just flustered. Yeah, it's and perfect. To me, that man. was strange. No, see, that's yeah, perfect. It's it's her in the moment. She's this isn't a yeah. simulation. It's just like the thing with the the faces she makes when they open the body bag up, right? Yeah. She is ready. She is you trained. She has that. done all the classroom stuff, but the real world is just so much more intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it no, tracks, I got that. man. I think I I was thinking the same thing you were. As soon as I saw him trying to reach out to her face, I was buying it. I bought into all that. And then when he cocked the hammer, I'm like, yeah, no. He either A, wants to die, Mm -hmm. or B, he just doesn't think she's a good shot. Or maybe Freudianly, he's not very comfortable using his weapon. That's possible. He's awkward. Freudianly. Awkward using the old weapon. You think about it though. It, you, hey, you watch what you're saying. If he run, if he wanted to be tactical about it, he could have gotten on the side of her and yeah. then cocked the hammer on the other side of her head to mm. make her turn, and then he would have had her. Yeah. Right. If he wanted to be tactical about it, so I didn't even think of that. I what? just thought I just thought that they they what you said, Travis. Like maybe he wanted to die, right. or maybe Dan said that. I don't know, but. I did think when I was watching when I was watching that scene, I thought, "Is he gonna cock the hammer back? Like that's just gonna give him away." And that's kind of like, you would never do that. Yeah, it's kind of like when you were in in school, and you heard someone say, "Yeah, you want to fight? Come on, let's fight! Come on!" Th- that's the person that wants to get pulled back. Right. Exactly. Usually, the person that wants to fight, you're on the ground, I didn't and even, they already hit you three times. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. But then yeah. again, I don't know. Did he? I don't think he wanted to die. I think he wanted to scare the shit out of her is what he wanted it's to possible. do. It's possible. I don't know. How unwieldy get, uh, is the trigger pull on, what is that, like a forty four Magnum? It's some big-ass gun. That's a BA gun, yes. So I, I don't know enough about, I don't, revolvers aren't my thing, so I don't really know. It looked like the same kind of gun that, like, Dirty Harry has. Yeah, that's, yeah, the 44 Magnum. Like a three fifty seven Magnum or something, forty four Magnum. Someone's going to chime in and tell us what kind of gun that was. That's yeah. why we have the Facebook group, guys. We got <laughs> to talk about discussion the guns. <laughs> Actually, if we had just like a regular feature on that group of people talking about guns in movies, uh, I'm there for it. So many guns in movies. Well, and just the, the usage so varies so much. And it's fun to just... Uh, it's fun to watch how good the technical advisors execute their plan, how good the training is, you know, does the boot camp work for the... The actors, I mean, you know, you've got your your Delta Forces on one side, you got your Black Hawk Downs on the other side. I mean, there's a mm-hmm. there's a wide range of firearm usage in movies I like to talk about. There's a whole um series of videos on YouTube of like real um like Chris Kyle type people, like real snipers analyzing guns and movies. So, go look those up. They're pretty cool. It's going to mess up my browser history, but all right. <laughs> Whatever. You want to have fun with your browser history? Look up uh, Francis Bacon. He apparently, from what I see, his artwork is, is so disgusting that that's what they used when they when they referenced for the kill scenes for, for Lecter when he's escaping. Like, somebody actually does artwork like that. Like the the bodies being separated and hung up with drapery and whatever. Like they there's an actual artist that they found. And his name is Francis Francis Bacon. Bacon. I looked it up. It is I'm, it's pretty interesting. It's like line art. It's not it's not gory where it's 
like realistic. How many degrees from Kevin Bacon? I don't know, like three maybe. Wasn't Francis Bacon the guy that paints the the painting in the Batman eighty nine that Joker stops Jack from destroying? Hey, stop! I kind of like this one. Isn't that Francis I like Bacon? This one. I don't know. I think it is. I th- I'm not a big art guy. I wish I were more of I'll an art guy. I'll have to look guy, that up. But I think that's a bacon that, yeah, that guy's about to chop. And it's like a dude surrounded by like an open rib cage or something. Yeah. Anyway, check that out. I think that's a Francis yeah, Bacon. Yeah, look that up. It's not quite a Kevin <laughs> Bacon. Ironically, though, <laughs> if uh, Joker doesn't stop Bob or whichever goon it is, he almost got a Kevin Bacon right through the painting. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Hmm. Circular, <laughs> circular world, man. It's, a, it's all a singularity. It's all one thing. It all comes back to Jason movies. So I guess it's safe to say you liked it. <laughs> a perfect movie. Is it better than Psycho? You could say. I think it so. Is, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it is too. As, as much as I love Psycho, th- this is probably there, what I wish Psycho was. We're really comparing apples and oranges, though. I don't know because of how. F- Far, you know the time frame. There's there's so much more available to to people and directors. I think this movie is an homage. It's an homage to Hitchcock. It's like an evolution yeah. of Psycho. Yeah, it's an evolution of Psycho. Yeah. There's there's so much Psycho in this movie. Almost even in the score, mm-hmm. like you can you can hear all the influence. It, it's it's a Norman Bates story told differently. Yeah. So I. I yeah, you can't compare the two stories, but you can you can basically say this is a better movie because it has more. This is a perfect movie. Yeah. This is what I wish Psycho was. Like everything they all the detail they went into with Hannibal Lecter and Buffalo Bill, if they would have paid that with Norman Bates, I, I would have been like, wow. Definitely. Yeah. But back then they didn't do that. Yeah. Cuz that that's not what he wanted to do. He wanted to leave it hanging. Yep. Which is fine. But this gives me everything I wanted in that movie. And it still leaves the loose end of Lecter out in the world. So Mm -hmm. you can wrap it up. It's a good device to have the second psycho, right? The helpful psycho and the the scary psycho. Because you do, you have the opportunity to leave it open-ended, but at the same time get that nice resolution of just choking on his own blood, Buffalo Bill. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that George said very early, you know, was I supposed to like him? And that's that's kind of a a thing you get with the kill. Like, in the 90s, 80s, these killers, they become iconic to the point where they're Halloween costumes, they're notebook covers, they're, you know, toothbrushes. And Lecter is, he falls into that category because he's he is likable. He's played that way but he's such a horrible person but then you think okay well Freddy Krueger same thing Jason Voorhees same thing but because this is an, a different genre this is almost a different genre than a slasher film but it's the same uh, formula to make this guy so awesome that you like him but you're not supposed to Well, in a, but that's why I, I think you are supposed to I I don't mean to ham-fistedly over... He said ham-handedly in the movie. That made me laugh. Because I say ham-fisted <laughs> all the time, and he said ham-handed. I was like, oh, I don't... Is that... What? <laughs> Maybe that's the British equivalent of ham-fisted. 
Right. I mean, I, I guess if anyone knows about no, that would be Buffalo Bill. I was gonna say who, if anyone knows about fisting, it'd be Buff. Never mind. <laughs> Here's the thing. I really <laughs> think that the uh, the Hannibal Lecter guy, and this is gonna seem like I'm really stretching the metaphor a little bit, but I think it's a moth to flame situation. Like you mm. want to get close because he's so interesting, but you know if you touch him, you catch fire. Yeah. Yes. I b- I believe that, but I think that has less to do with the writing and more to do with the acting. Yeah. Yeah, he's a lot more approachable in this than Brian Cox is in Manhunter. But also, this Lecter fucks and the other one doesn't. You know? Like, it's the dynamic, mm. the difference in dynamic of William Peterson being the FBI go between or Jodie Foster, right? Like, there's definitely right. a dynamic there of his own kind of predation that you need a female character to bring out so i'm interested to see what george thinks if he watches red dragon again or the original manhunter just to see without the sexual element is hannibal lecter as interesting i don't know see i never even took him as yeah it's flirtatious the way he talks to her but i never took it as sexual oh dude but now i see what you're saying but it's to me it was kind of an underlying thing. I didn't really see it as a sexual tension between them two. See, now, I think maybe he loved, I think he fell in love with her. Because when he says, to know you outside in the real world would be you know, a treat or whatever it is he says. But yeah, but I didn't take that as he wanted to bang her. I don't know, man. For every he... bit of Buffalo Bill wanting to literally live inside of women, yeah. I get the impression that Hannibal Lecter is getting his jollies by like getting inside of Clarice's mind like just for fun like for his own his own entertainment he's literally getting inside of her mind hmm see I read it differently like when he says thank when she finally finishes her story and he's like thank you thank you like it was almost like he she gave him an opportunity to be a psychiatrist again maybe that's the way I was reading it but also maybe he was just in there long enough and now he's done (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey oh okay i mean seriously i don't know it's gross you could definitely not cut that yeah i, uh, yeah, I might not i don't know <laughs> but i mean yeah, I think it's, they... I'm, it's a legit i i mean it i'm not just fucking around but yeah yeah, yeah. But it's they so do it well enough to where i guess it could be played in different ways I, I would be interested to find out from the screenwriter and and Anthony Hopkins to find out if that was even discussed, if he had any attraction to her other than the fact that she gave him a lot of, uh, <laughs> head, gave him a lot of the head. He, she played along with the head games that he was so good at. Yeah. And she actually was able to checkmate him a few times. And I think she was a worthy adversary to him. And, and I think he respected her way more than he respected Crawford, because Crawford was very passive. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't really go up against him like she did. So I think he respected her way more than he respected Crawford. I don't. I, I don't know. I didn't see it as sexual tension, but I could be wrong. But then, how much, how much weight did they put on that handshake at graduation between her and Crawford? Yes, they definitely played up 
that. I mean, they because mm-hmm. that was that awkward silence where it was like, are we supposed to hug or kiss? They or go what's for going that, and it's like the yeah. whole time she's been kind of like, oh no, Crawford's not into me, and Lecter's like, oh, he's mm-hmm. totally into you. And there's that. It's just, it's a lot. I don't know if I can break mm-hmm. it down, but it's just the way they shoot it. It's just like, oh man. Yeah, I th- I personally think that that was purposely done. Oh, absolutely. And I think the Lecter stuff, like you can say, yeah, he was kind of being jealous, so he was kind of saying, well, he likes you. Like that, to me, I think he was more or less just being a dick. And he was saying, you know, uh, do you think of him in this way? Like I just think it was part of the mind F. I don't think it had anything to do with a jealousy or him wanting her. But I could be wrong. I I like what you're saying, but I'd be curious to find out if, if, just like you were saying, that I might be reading too far into the, uh, the gore, mother. Yeah, the mother being Mrs. Uh, Lippman and him being her son, uh, James Gum being her son. I'm not really sure that all Dan, that's Dan there. Dan might be assuming romance. Yeah, mm. maybe. I don't even know if I see romance. I mean, there's obviously romance later, but I've seen just attraction. Hannibal. But there's like, definitely chemistry. There's a certain there's amount attraction. of like desire on his part to get inside of her mind. And hang out right. long enough for him to be satisfied. But does he do that out of attraction or a lust or just because she's worthy? She can go toe-to-toe with him. She sees there was bullshit. I mean, I, I don't that's know what, what the he... guy's into. But right. uh, either <laughs> All way. Right, so check this out. Is a Hannibal Lecter, a free Hannibal Lecter, scarier than any other slasher? We've come across so far. Yes. Absolutely, right? Yeah, because he's smart and he's calculating. And you'll never catch him. You'll never catch him and he's three steps ahead of you all the time. It's almost like, you know, the reason why Halloween was so good was because, you know, the killer is... Everywhere. Yeah, and the killer is in suburbia. Right. And, you know, the killer is a real person. Right. Right. Um, whereas, you know, as opposed to like Jason or Freddy or whatever, this guy is, meaning Hannibal Lecter, is like that on steroids because he's so smart. Yeah. And you don't and really know. And he's so know gruesome, too. Like, right? he doesn't just stab people, like, he's just deranged and he, smart he, and likable. He made Mig swallow his own tongue. By just talking to him. Did we lose Dan again? Nope. Just here in thought. Thinking about Miggs swallowing his tongue. (laughs) Trying to figure out how that worked. Seems like a difficult... I I think he just had a seizure. I think that's that's how I took it. You can have a seizure and swallow your own tongue. Yeah. Cool. It's just weird that like right before that they talk about the nurse who Lecter like literally ate her tongue. Mm. It's just a weird confluence a of tongue eating. Just weird. One of those weird things that like on a second pass, would you go, man, we got too many tongues getting swallowed. We better switch this to, <laughs> you know, something a little less tonguey. I don't know. Did you get the, uh, like at the end, did you get the whole Alice in Wonderland type feel? Like almost like the the, the rabbit hole kind of thing. Like there was a lot of reference to the pit in the basement but also like her her descending through the steps and going down 
and going down and down. Like she it kept getting deeper and deeper, almost to the point where she was in Wonderland. Like it was almost like a. a you bring a, up Alice in Wonderland a lot. Yeah, like I, I think it's involved in a lot of movies. Yeah, because of the symbolism of that story. She definitely goes through a looking glass at one point as the door kicks open and it goes from dingy to like everything going on in that basement. Yeah. I don't know. Again, it's one of those things where you want to get the filmmaker to talk to him. Like, even if it's the art direction. Yeah, like let's get it, him what's on. Their, what's their influence? Let's get him on the pod. What are we waiting let's for? Let's add him. I don't know. Who, Jonathan Demi? No, no, that one's, we're going to need a medium for that. <laughs> I was going to say, he's not around anymore. <laughs> Unfortunately. Hey, George. Yes, sir. Have you ever seen The Silence of the Lambs? Yes. Yes, I have. And I'm very glad I did. You're welcome. You are welcome. Travis. I'm glad you liked it. Travis, I think we ought to tell him what he's got in store for him next week. Silent Night, Deadly Night, Part (laughs) 3. Is that the one with the eyebrows? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Did you know that there are actually five? He's rolling his eyebrows right there now. There are five Silent Night, Deadly Night movies. Are there really? But For real? three through five, they go like full-on anthology series. And I hear that four and five are both actually kind of watchable. I've never found a decent enough version to... Because like the DVD is super expensive. If you get it, it's out of print. So I've never watched the three through five. But I hear that four and five are actually kind of watchable. Silly Christmas slashers. Well, that sounds like something that we should definitely go Garbage after. day! <laughs> Garbage <laughs> day! What kind of gun was that? Oh, that was just God. like a thirty-eight. Nothing fancy. We gotta get a. We gotta get an expert. My brother, maybe. Just like a gun. Yeah, he might know. Just a gun edition of the remedial uh, remedial gun class podcast with Travis and George and Dan. No. Blam blam! <laughs> I think we've said all we can say about the perfect sounds of the lambs. And so in two weeks, when we return with our actual first bi-weekly episode, what are we making George watch? We are going to watch a uh, classic Christmas movie. Wait, 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 Uh, wait. Christmas movie. Travis, by the time we release this episode, it won't be Christmas anymore. Uh, This better be an evergreen movie. (laughs) Ooh, evergreen. That's like a that's like a double entendre. Ew. Ew. Ugh. So George, do you know who John McClane is? No. I okay. I know the name. I I've heard the name before. You've heard the name? Yeah. Have you ever seen Die Hard? No. I have not. We're going to die hard in two weeks. What? So we're doing it. For the benefit of our thing. listeners, uh we will be recording this episode prior to Christmas. And so George will be fully vested <laughs> in the Christmas season. Uh, but yes. by the time you guys hear it, it'll just be another action movie to watch as your New Year's hangover subsides, <laughs> I guess, depending on where you are in the world when we launch our next episode. Well, I mean, it is a Christmas season. I was going to say, not just a day. Isn't there some debate as to whether or not it's a Christmas movie? Yes, that's the joke. Well, okay. you'll have to wait and see. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, spoiler We're not going to spoil it for you. So this episode will launch January 13th. Hopefully your New Year's hangover is gone by then. Of course, given that it's still a pandemic season, I'm sure we'll all just be drinking alone at home, <laughs> uh, which is kind of, I mean, I guess you could just keep it rolling. Why not? 13-day bender in your house. 
<laughs> is that a bad idea? Should I not be recommending that? Don't do that. Yippee ki yay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. As always, thank you for joining us on the Remedial Film Class Podcast. Connect with us on the Extra Credit Discussion Group at facebook.com slash groups slash Remedial Film Pod. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at at Remedial Film Pod. You can find us at facebook.com slash Remedial Film Pod. And you can even email us remedialfilmpod at gmail.com. We'll see you back in two weeks for Die Hard. And technically, I mean, it, it is before the epiphany, so it is still the Christmas season. Right. So we're good. I mean, I still all, have my Christmas tree up by there. All you Catholics so. out there. Wait, what's the epiphany? What did you say, Dan? I don't know. I uh, missed that the, uh, that week at church. Oh, that's oh, that's what the it's the official end of the Christmas, Christmas season. When is season. It's when the it's when the three kings finally make it to the nativity. Oh, I thought they were there it's the night of. See, I'm a bad Catholic. No, see, yeah, it, they're always depicted that way, Dan. Yeah. But uh, they didn't actually get there until like by the time they show I mean, up, he's like 23 years old. I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, no, it's it's not on the same. Night. No, it's the day that that. That that is celebrated. So, it's in the middle of January. Middle of so January. Technically, it's so still Christmas. We'll be so right around the epiphany. So, uh, you'll get three wise men and a couple of and a couple German? of Germans and <laughs> John McLean. John McLean. Oh, I'm excited. I think you'll love it. Or you'll hate it. All right, and we'll sounds find good. Out. Plus, we can talk or about guns, it, yes. guns, guns, <laughs> and one-liners. <laughs> <laughs> Guns and one-liners <laughs> sounds good, like it's going to be a great. Oh, I'm cutting that out because that's the name of my new podcast: Guns and One-liners. <laughs> <laughs> Trademark: Guns and One-liners podcast. Uh, I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. Holy uh, mackerel! Uh, sounds the lambs is real good, man. Yeah, it was. I'm going to go home and watch it again. Are you glad to be back? Oh, wait, I can't. Uh, like in the mainstream of movies after. God, that was an intensive, what, six weeks of slasher movies? Eight weeks, 12 weeks? We really kicked your we ass for a little through while. put him through 20 years in, in, what, eight weeks? Yeah. <laughs> Is it good to be back, George? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this could be construed as, you know, a horror movie, mm-hmm. obviously. But, um, yeah, this is not... <laughs> this is good. I mean, dude, this is Buffalo Bill didn't even take Manhattan. Did he even try? <laughs> <laughs> right. That's the name of my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoy Times Square. Welcome to New York. Welcome to New York. You don't know where pain is. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh.